It's showtime with Ricky Lee. Thank you so much for listening and for spreading the word about this program to family and friends. Thanks to you, It's Showtime with Ricky Lee is now one of the top entertainment news podcasts with more listeners coming on board each day. We definitely feel the love and we appreciate you. I'm your host, Ricky Lee Travolta, and we have a terrific show planned for you today. Elgin Theater Company is a little gem of a theater organization in, as you may have guessed, Elgin, Illinois. Now, I've seen the company produce some very memorable shows, including both laugh-out-loud comedies and heart-wrenching dramas. Last year, noted director Regina Belt Daniels won the Life and Times HeartSprings Award for her brilliant direction of I Hate Hamlet. Now, she brings those directing talents to the stage again, helming It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play for Elgin Theatre Company from November 10th through November 19th. Today, Regina will be joining me to discuss the upcoming seasonal classic, It's a Wonderful Life. So I would like to jump right in from the get-go, Gina. This is a radio play. Okay, most people are familiar with It's a Wonderful Life because it's on TV every year during the holidays. And then theaters do it as a play. But this is a unique interpretation. It's a radio play. So tell us what makes it so unique in that regard. Okay. Well, first of all, Joe Landry adapted the movie. And practically every line that you can remember or be a favorite of is in this script. Um, But it's different, obviously, because there's no scenes changes. There's no costume changes. Um, I have 12 actors portraying a variety of parts. In the original that Joe Landry did, um, there's only five actors. And that could be very confusing because when you have somebody playing Clarence and then doing other parts. So what I did was I just took out the main characters like Clarence and George, um, Mary, and made them standalone characters. But then I have an absolutely brilliant actor named Reese Reed, who probably has a ton of characters that he has to portray. And um, William Attow, who plays Freddie Fillmore, the announcer, he also has different parts. So the radio play for me was very, very interesting because it's mostly the vocals. It's mostly the facials that the audience is going to see. They're not going to be coming on and off. They're not going to be changing their costumes, like I said. Um, So that's a little bit difficult. And they're going to be standing at a music stand in front of a microphone. However, the costumes are 1940s. The microphones are 1940s. Everything is going to be 1940s. And Barry Norton, who I know you know, and I know quite well. um, We love Barry. Yeah, he's so good. um, Designed the set. And just like... He did for me before he made it art deco and it's just i've just seen it you know when he finished it it's being loaded in today in elgin it's just gorgeous so 
anyway, I think I went roundabout in answering your question, Hercules. And I wanted to say, you know, they always tell you, you have that face for radio. So I've used that on some of my actors, but anyway. <laughs> now, you know, you mentioned that these are actors standing in front of a podium talking, and that doesn't sound like hugely entertaining from that description, but having seen this, uh, this script done before, uh, having seen a, a radio play version, it is exciting um, because it, it, it the facial expressions, like you had said, um, and the vocal inflections. And and forgive me if I'm reading into it, but you have people doing things besides just standing at podiums. Um, isn't there like a Foley artist or, or something involved? Yes, Jim Pierce is our Foley artist, and he does all the sound effects. So you'll hear sounds of wind and thunder and Clarence the Angel descending. And I think that's fascinating for an audience too. Um, right, and it's not just hearing the sounds. He actually has to do things to produce the sounds. Oh yeah, he has a table and he has all the things laid out to make various sounds. And Jim is really quite clever. We were really in a dilemma about crackling ice. And um, he said that a soda bottle, you know, a plastic soda bottle, if you crush it, makes a sound. However, none of those were around in 1940. So he came up with a plan on how to do that. And I think that's going to be really fascinating for the audience to see how the different sounds were made back then on radio. Quite clever, actually. Now, one of the uh, benefits of doing a radio play version of, of a story is it allows you, to, it, it frees you up to, with casting. Um, because you're only really focused on can the the voice be this character? Um, so uh, did you have a luxury in terms of casting? Did, were you able to 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 get just the the right George Bailey for this production? I think so. Um, that that was hard because my George Bailey is a little bit older than probably most people would cast, but he has a magnificent, magnificent voice. And he also is able to do so many things with his face. And he has just made so much progress um, since we started rehearsal. And it's so funny because he, well, the, the character, the woman that plays Mary is so much younger, but it's like you said, you know, it's, it's the voice. It's, it's the, the voice. Expressions. Bart so. Simpson is voiced by a a, a middle aged woman. You know, it it's yeah. what the voice can translate into, and so I'm, okay, and I okay. And I think too, the audience, the minute they get into hearing these voices, hearing these people, seeing these people, they're going to get so absorbed and so engaged that they're not going to think oh, look, Gordy has a beard, you know, and he's supposed to be playing George Bailey, you know, somebody in his 20s or whatever. So it's just, I don't know how to describe it, Ricky Lee, but you're so right. I mean, it's the, the vocal, it's the physical expressions. They, they've come so far that they're so familiar with their lines. A lot of times they're not even looking at the script. That's the other advantage of the radio play. They get to have their scripts with them. So really, technically, there's no memorization. So. Well, yes, but but I, I have seen um, your productions. And even when there are people who 
uh, are justified in having the script in their in their hands uh, for like a radio play. Your actors are always so well prepared that um, they they probably even though they don't have to be off book for this, I can tell that that they are going to know their lines intimately because that's what you bring to the table as a director. Now, visually, you are a very visual director. You like to take pictures and share with the actors how they're they're reading. Um, is that something that lends itself well to the rehearsal process for this show? Yes, it did. <laughs> and I told them at the very beginning too, after I got their permission to do that, um, I didn't put it on Facebook. I just put it in between our cast and then I sent it like to Madeline Franklin and of course, Richard, the producer and so on and so forth. But I wanted them to be able to see their facial expressions, um, that they're not just standing there at the music stand um, so that they can see how they're reacting. So of course, maybe you know, having been in one of my shows, I've sent hundreds of pictures as a matter of fact, I was quite astounded when I was checking my iPhone to see that I've added over 3,000 photos. Oh. So I, I do have to delete some, I think. So, <laughs> well, anyway. just keep mine. Those are the important ones. Yeah, those are the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> now, another thing visually stimulating uh, about this show that the audience can look forward to is the set design by Barry Norton, who you had uh, mentioned earlier. Um, I have seen pictures uh, of the set and it is just, it's art deco, it's magnificent. Um, what, somebody walking into Elgin Art Showcase where this is being staged, somebody walking into the, to the, the Elgin Art Showcase, they've never seen this show before. What is this set going to tell them when they walk in? That it's set in the past. And the primary colors are the black and the silver. Um, we even rented chairs that are black and silver um, to be up on the platforms for the performers to sit on. Um, and I think they're going to be really stunned by the attractiveness of it. And at the beginning, I was a little concerned that maybe that would take away from the actors. But the actors are so good. And um, Dolores Corby's doing the costumes and she's set it all in the 1940s too. I, you know, it'll just be, everything's going to complement each other. So well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the costumes and how they complement this. I mean, I haven't seen the costumes yet. I've seen the pictures of the set <laughs> and this, I, I'm just, I'm going to be seeing the show on opening night and I can't wait. Yes, to you are. <laughs> and, you know, and one of the things that I can't wait to see is that set live in person because it translates so beautifully in the pictures i've seen now in terms of the costumes um you mentioned that they're they're 1940s as well uh is there any effort to try and make them match the the set um or is it are you looking for any particular uh vision with the costumes what what's your approach with the costumes the costumes i have to illuminate the characters um, they're not, there's no effort to match the set. Um, when I first initially started talking with Dee, you know, I sent her some pictures of what I had in mind. I sent her some patterns and so forth, especially for the women's dresses. Men's outfits don't change that much, as you know. Uh, the suits are pretty much still the same. And I have the guys pretty much in, in suits, bow ties, um, vests, and so forth, except for Freddie Fillmore, the announcer. He gets to have a tux. 
Um, but the women was they were a little bit different. For example, the character of Violet, I asked her to be in a cocktail dress because if when you see her character, you'll understand why. Mary, of course, to George Bailey is a different character whatsoever. So I wanted her more in a daytime 1940s dress. And then we have um, Shirley May, who's playing the moms. And of course, wanted her in more aprons, things like that too. The one drawback that I have for the costumes is that it's a 90 minute show, so there's no intermission. And what each actor comes out in is what they stay in. So even though, for example, Reese plays Dr. Campbell and Billy, he'll either take off a jacket or add something. Um, the, Dwight, who plays Joseph, he also plays the bridge keeper. He's going to add one of those trapper hats and so forth and take off his Joseph jacket. So those are the little things that are going to happen with the costume. But primarily, they'll walk out in the costume that they're going to be in for the 90 minutes. And now it's a radio play. Obviously, we are an audience there watching it. Does does the cast, the characters, do they acknowledge the audience? Are we an audience at this radio play being presented? Um, it, how, what is the audience involvement? Yes, in you are. <laughs> well, from the very from the very introduction of the characters, the audience is involved, and I'm not going to do a spoiler alert, so you'll see that. Plus, we also have on the air signs that are going to be utilized, hopefully, and applause signs that are going to be utilized. So yes, the audience is very much going to be involved in this radio play. You are listening to It's Showtime with Ricky Lee, your backstage pass to the world of entertainment, including theater, film, television, music, comedy, and literature. I'm your host, Ricky Lee Travolta. Thank you for making It's Showtime with Ricky Lee one of your favorite podcasts. We're available on all major platforms and we're now ranked as one of the top entertainment news podcasts available. That's all thanks to listeners like you spreading the word. Today, I'm joined by acclaimed director Regina Belt Daniels. Her production of It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play, begins performances November 10th, and runs through November 19th at Elgin Art Showcase. I have the information that you are going to need to get tickets, so stop what you're doing. Grab something to <laughs> drop down a note for yourself. Okay, here we go. For ticket information, go to elgin-theater.org or call Elgin Theater Company at 847-741-055. Three, two. Is there any music involved in this show in terms of in background music or any use of music at all? Yes, um, we have music for scene changes, just so when we go from one scene into another. We also have, obviously, Christmas music. And then we also have um, Odd Lang Syne at the end for the curtain call. That so, makes sense. Oh, yes, there's the I, I always think that that has have an element of fun to it, you know, uh, when when there's music. It, it just kind of pops up. Um, I just saw uh, Twelfth, Twelfth Night at um, Chicago Shakespeare. I read your review. <laughs> and the, the way that they added the music, just it, 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 it's like somebody with a twinkle in their eye. 
right? It just adds a little something special to it. Uh, now, in terms of It's a Wonderful Life, you've done this, you've directed this uh, uh, story before. And everybody knows yes. that it. it's on television every year around this time, you know, around the, the Thanksgiving, Christmas time holidays. What is it that is so universal about the appeal? What what makes this a, a show that like a Christmas carol, you can just go to every year and just always enjoy it? Why is this one so magical? I think it's because of the theme. I think it's because you know, Clarence and George really stress that how your life affects another and how if you didn't live, what would have happened to the other people? I also think it's got the theme of hope in it and family love. Um, and I think, you know, those are universal themes and also quite popular. And uh, I understand that It's a Wonderful Life is broadcast so much because when the rights to the film were filed, apparently they didn't file it properly. So it's free to anybody, any network or whatever, to broadcast as much as they want. So it, it actually, from my be that's why I read about this as well. Yeah, I, I read about this as well. And, um, when it initially came out, it was not hugely well received. It was not a blockbuster. Oh no, it lost money. It lost you know, money. Yeah. yeah, it it only became so popular, like you said, because of the constant airings, because they failed to do the copyright properly on it. Mm -hmm. But and yet now here it is, this wonderful institution that we all love. And now is this a show that um, all ages would uh, be able to enjoy, uh, you know, it's family friendly, I would uh, assume. Yeah, it's it's definitely family friendly. And we, I do have two children in my cast. Um, Sebastian plays Tommy and Pete. And then we have Tegan Wester, who plays Zuzu. And I think she is in, is she nine now? Anyway, she's just adorable. So, and I just admire them so much because their parts are so small, but those two are troopers and such good actors and the rest of the cast loves them. So yes, it's definitely family friendly. And, you know, you've, you've mentioned family uh, and the cast and I'm going to kind of connect those two together that lots of times when you're in rehearsal for a long period of time, uh, putting together a, a show as meaningful as this one, uh, you you develop an almost like family like um, relationship with 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 each other. Uh, has that kind of permeated uh, the rehearsal process for this show as well? I think so. Um, they really like each other, and we also have <laughs> Paul Lockwood and Devin Ortiz, who are our pun masters, and um, they're quite entertaining for the cast too. But yeah, they're they're just really great. They all look out for each other. Um, you know, they're just all friendly. They all help each other. It's just, it, it is like a family. And, you know, Ricky Lee, it's like, you know, I have friends from the opera house from like 30 years ago that I met during shows that are still my friends. So, and look at, you know, I hate Hamlet, how close we all got. So anyway, yes. <laughs> You mentioned Paul Lockwood uh, is in the cast. Uh, you mentioned his his 
pun obsession. Um, <laughs> but uh, he actually has an interesting story. He came into the show as uh, kind of the hero, um, stepping up to the plate um, when uh, a, a role became available late in the, the process. And uh, Paul is just such a wonderful human being, and 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 I I just adore him. I don't adore his puns, but I adore him. <laughs> and and <laughs> uh, what has the, the the process been like? Um, having somebody come in and into he plays Clarence, um, so it's yes. a significant role. Um, what has he brought to the process? Stepping in at this point. Well, as you said, he's a very good actor. I worked with him before, so I knew when I called him that I could rely on him and that he would be dependable and that he would step right in and just, you know, he asked questions about Clarence. He asked questions about what I wanted. Um, he connected right away with Dwight, who plays Joseph. Uh, they have a real constant chemistry. It's just really magnificent. Um, so... Yeah, he gets along with everybody. He, he brought so much into the process. And, you know, truly, when the other actor had to leave for health reasons, um, I was very concerned because, you know, it was two weeks away from tech. And we didn't have a lot of rehearsals scheduled for various reasons. And, you know, Paul came right in, got right to work, even though he dropped a few puns. But, uh, <laughs> anyway. But this is an improv. He has to follow the script. So oh, yeah. there won't be any puns thrown in. So it'll be a wonderful, entertaining ad adventure for the audience. Yeah, and he uh, does. He's very faithful to the script. So and I can, he does. Just, I can totally see Paul as as Clarence. Uh, it, you know, if if there was one role that, that would be perfect for him in It's a Wonderful Life, this would be it. So, uh, you know, I can I can see where the, the casting choice went in there. Um, we've talked about George Bailey casting. We've talked about Clarence casting, and we've talked about uh, Jim playing uh, Jim Pierce playing the the Foley artist. Let's talk mm -hmm. about uh, some of the other people involved in in, in the show. Um, we mentioned we had uh, we have two uh, two younger performers, and uh, just so their their moms and dads, grandparents, and neighbors all can. Uh, <laughs> delight in hearing their names let's mention those one more time our, our our two little ones okay zuzu is tegan wester and um tommy and peter is sebastian russ so okay. and they're both really good good actors they have great futures ahead of them and now uh mary uh george bailey's wife is is a very important role so let's talk about the woman who's, who's playing mary uh what can you tell me about her Audrey is another, I, you know, I cast really well, Ricky. Um, yes. She's just really, she understands Mary. She, she just really is Mary. You know, she's down to earth, loving, um, spirited. You should hear her scream. Um, you know, she's good with the kids. I mean, She's she and Gordy have a good chemistry, which is very important since it's George and Mary. Um, I just couldn't be more pleased. You know, again, it's like they make my job easy because they understand their characters, they understand what they're doing. And, you know, I ask them to do something, they do it the first time. Now, so what do you, it's just a perfect Mary. What do you do 
to make sure that your actors have that level of character development? Um, what do you go through a process with them to 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 make sure that they travel down the right right path and and get to the destination that you want them to reach? Well, I always do improv so they get to know each other and they can trust themselves. Um, I usually assign some type of homework, like, you know, go through the script and see what sentences describe your character and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times um, people like to be influenced by the movies or other actors that have done the roles. I'm not seeing that with this cast, um, which I'm very, very thankful for. We have another lady, um, Jamie, who does Violet and Matilda and Sadie. And she's, you know, she has all the different characters down. She's got them. She changes her voice, too. All I said to her was, you know, develop an accent for this character. Let's see what you come up with. You know, and she came to the next rehearsal. She she had it. So, and Shirley May, as I said earlier, she plays the moms. And Mrs. Hatch is a lot different than Rose Bailey. And she does that with her character. She does it with her voice. She does it with her face, as you'll see on opening night. So, you know, and I'm... I'm just so excited, Ricky Lee, because they're all so good. And then one other uh, member of the cast that I want to mention is on Sundays, Elgin Theatre Company brings in uh, uh, somebody to do uh, sign language interpretation. Andrew Ross, yeah. Of the show. Um, what is it that Andrew Ross brings to the table uh, on those Sunday performances? Well, obviously, he's bringing a level of understanding for a part of the audience that may miss a lot. Um, when he signs, it's quite fascinating. It's, it's quite beautiful to watch, but he's conveying the play. He's conveying the message of the play. And, you know, initially he might be distracting because of where he's standing, you know, and the audience is going to be fascinated to watch him sign. But then, you know, you, you adapt it into the flow and he's not distracting. And I think it's very necessary to offer this play or any play for that matter to that part of the audience that may be hearing impaired or deaf. And so, that's what and I- you know what, Rika, I've got to mention another, oops, sorry, another actor that we haven't talked about and it's Devin Ortiz. And I think you might know him from some other Elgin shows, but he plays Harry and Sam and, and Binky, who is a bouncer. But his Harry is George Bailey's brother. And there's a segment where he's a hero because he's a military hero during the war. And he just, he nails it so much. But also, as I said, you know, he's also a pun master with Paul, which makes rehearsals interesting. But anyway. Well, I will tell you, that makes me very much look forward to seeing the show and very glad that I haven't stopped into rehearsals because the puns. And wait till you see Brian as Potter. He is wonderful. He's a villain. And the other thing with Brian is I had him do um, a commercial, the Brown Bremen uh, hair tonic commercial. His character is totally different. So I'm so excited that you're coming because you're going to see these guys. And I hope I've mentioned everybody. Oh, and John Mayall is doing the voice of the stage manager, Shannon's husband. So I think we mentioned everybody, Ricky Lee, I hope. Fantastic, because we are out of time. Oh, gosh, goes too fast. <laughs> You've been listening to It's Showtime with Ricky Lee, your backstage pass to all things entertainment. 
including theater, film, television, music, comedy, and literature. I'm your host, Ricky Lee Travolta, and I sincerely thank you for helping to make It's Showtime with Ricky Lee one of the top entertainment news podcasts, available on all major apps. Today, we've had the great joy of talking shop with award-winning director Regina Belt Daniels. Her next project is It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play, which runs November 10th through November 19th at Elgin Art Showcase, which is located at 164 Division Street on the 8th floor. Sunday performances feature sign language interpretation for the deaf and hard of hearing. It's a Wonderful Life is presented by Elgin Theater Company and producer Richard Grieger. For ticket information, go to elgin-theater.org or call Elgin Theater Company at 847-741-0532. Gina, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Ricky Lee. We'll I miss see, you. <laughs> we'll see you in the spotlight.